Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 9. The Gospel of Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 46, we'll read to 62. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. An argument started among them as to which of them might be the greatest. But Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their heart, took a child and stood him by his side and said to him, said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For the one who is least among all of you, this is the one who is great. John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to prevent them because he does not follow along with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not hinder him, for he who is not against you is for you. And when the days were approaching for his ascension, He was determined to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would bless us as we come to your word this morning. And Lord, we come with anticipation that you will, that your word will rebuke and correct and train us in righteousness. Father, I pray that you would anoint my mouth to preach your word. And Father, that every one of our thoughts and meditations would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. So we come to this passage, and I mean, there's quite a bit going on. Any one of those little passages could could be a sermon. Uh, any few words could actually be a sermon. But, uh, but there's a lot in here, and I think it all holds together. And I think the, the, what, what Jesus is getting at in this portion of the Gospel of Luke that's recorded here, what Jesus is getting at with the disciples is what, is, what does it mean to be great? What does it mean to follow me? What does it mean to be a good disciple of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be a good disciple of Jesus Christ? Now, think of the context here. What happened the day before? Look back in your Bibles. What happened the day before? James, John, Peter went up on the mountain to pray, and there something extraordinary happened. Something that others didn't get the chance to see. Jesus 
and all of his heavenly glory was revealed in his transfiguration to those three uh, disciples, those three apostles, right? He stands before them in all of his glory, right? While he's praying, verse 29, the appearance of his face became different and his clothing became white and gleaming. And two men were with him. I mean, it boggles your mind. Moses and Elijah are there with him. Uh, appearing in glory, we're speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish, right? And Peter and his companion had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, okay, Peter, saying the wrong thing. Peter absolutely diminishing the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ by offering not to make one temple, which would be weird in and of itself, but to make three, right? One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. It's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. And while he was saying this, a cloud formed began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And then the voice of God the Father Almighty comes out of the cloud and says, This is my Son, my chosen one. And then an exhortation. Listen to him. Listen to him. And then it's over as quickly as it started. On the next day, they go down from the mountain. A large crowd meets Jesus. A large crowd meets him. And and a man comes up from the crowd saying, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only boy. And a spirit seizes him and suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions. He's foaming at the mouth. He, and and, and this, this demon is mauling this kid. And what, what did that man do before he came to Jesus? He went to the disciples and asked for help. Look what's happening to my son. What's happening here? Can you do anything for my son? And he says he begged Jesus' disciples to cast it out and they could not. And then here's the hinge of this long passage. Here's the hinge where I think the whole passage is meant to be defining what it means to be great, what it means to be a good disciple, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring bring your son here. He's saying that to whom? I mean, that's his, initial, that's, that's his initial audience is the disciples. It is also this man, right? And it is also the crowds that had formed. But that first, that first line is the disciples. You, 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 you weren't able to remove this demon because you're unbelieving. And you're perverted. A perverted generation. He knows they're perverted because they can't cast out this demon. And then Jesus, while he was still approaching, the demon slammed the child to the ground, threw him into convulsions, but Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. Bam, bam, bam. Come out of him. He's fine. Gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. But while everyone was marveling at, what, what, at all that he was doing, he said to his disciples, now he gets specifically to his disciples, and he says, let these words sink into your ears, for the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. There are difficult things that are coming up, brothers. You couldn't cast out this demon 
that took me no effort. Where was your faith, right? You have little faith, he often said to the disciples. But now he's saying to them, look, I'm going to die. I'm going to be gone. Let these words sink into your ears, for the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But the disciples, do they understand it? No. They do not understand the statement, and it was concealed from them so that they would not perceive it. Not only could they not understand it, they were not allowed to understand it at this point. And not only were they, they didn't understand it, they were not allowed to understand it, but it says they were afraid to ask him about this statement. They, they didn't even have the ability to, to like, well, could you maybe flesh that out for us, Jesus? They were afraid to do that. How many times are you afraid to ask people questions, but you know you need to ask that question? Any man who's traveling and has to ask for directions knows what this is like, right? Just trust Siri. Just go with it. But, but they were afraid to ask. I mean, they're afraid to ask perhaps because they're thinking of the glory they just saw. They're thinking of the, the power. They're thinking of his rebuke, first of all, that this is a wicked and perverted generation. And they're not then about to ask him a question where they've just failed. Right? They've failed, and now they're afraid to ask him questions. Right at that point, what happens? Right at that point, they begin arguing about which one of them is the greatest. I mean, it's so twisted, isn't it? It's so twisted that at that point, they're even afraid to ask him a question. They haven't been able to cast out this demon, and they've, a portion of them have just seen Jesus Christ's heavenly glory. They must be filled with awe and filled with fear. And it's right then that an argument started among them as to which one of them might be the greatest. I mean, if of anything that happened at the wrong moment in the history of the world, this might be at the top of the list. They've seen Jesus in his divinity, his divine glory, not the diminished, you know, he, he is just open to their eyes. And then, and then they start arguing about which one of them is the greatest. I mean, it'd be like going to see, uh, let me make a bad analogy, okay? It'd be like going to see Michael Jordan, right, in the mid-90s when he's at the top of his craft, right? And then after it, doing a game of pickup basketball and, and arguing that you are the best basketball player, right? I mean, absurd. Absurd. You don't have an ounce of... Of, of Michael Jordan's elegance, whatever you want to call it, athleticism, uh, tenacity. And so here they, but, but it's, it's much worse than that. It's way worse than that, right? Because this is God before them. And so an argument starts among them, and now I think all the things that are laid out in the rest of this chapter are answering, okay, so what, what is it to be great in the kingdom? What is it to be great in the kingdom of God? That's what's laid out here. And so it starts this way, but Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their heart, Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their heart, I mean, just take that. They're probably arguing out loud with one another, and that's being overheard by Jesus, but Jesus knows even what they think in their hearts. You know, there may be some modesty in us when we're, you know, when we're in the locker room boasting about how much we can bench press. We may hold back our real thoughts, but our real thoughts are completely filled with self-importance, right? If, 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 if we had to share our thoughts of ourselves for one week to one another, 
we would really quickly become, if we weren't already, Calvinists who believed in depravity, right? It would not take long. And so, so he knows what's going on in their hearts. And instead of, you know, instead of rebuking them, which he had just done earlier, he takes, he, he, he gives them an example. He brings before them a child. He took that child and stood that child right by his side. I don't know how old that child was. Maybe it was, let's say, a, it was a, a, a four-year-old girl with pigtails. Really cute. And he brings that little child next to him and stands her, well, it's, he uses him, by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For the one who is least among all of you, this is the one who is great. Right? So there's this, so he's saying a couple things here. He's saying, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. So he's telling them that, that, and we know that the disciples have trouble with those who are clamoring to get to Jesus, right? There are times when, when, when children are brought to him and the apostles are like, you know, get them away. Jesus has real business to do. He, he can't be bothered with mere children, right? He's got to go heal people. He's got to speak, you know, uh, power to authority, and he's got to preach, and he's got to um, heal. And so don't bring these children around, but he says, well... Um, when a child comes to you, receive that child in my name, and you're receiving me. And whoever receives me is receiving the Father. For the one who is least among all of you, this is the one who is great. And so in there he's saying, look, this child, though a nothing, though it has no clout, though it has no connections, though it is not on a conference preaching circuit, right? It has not published any books and, and, and it hasn't done all these things that we consider to be greatness in, in the church today. It's, he's saying that, no, no, receive that little child because that little child is great, is great in the kingdom. And so it's, he's, he's orienting them in a different direction. Everything that they think is great, Jesus is saying, no, no, this, this child, and receiving this child, and that action of receiving this child, that's great. That's greatness. Right? It, it's... I mean, think, think of who you determine to receive into your life. Think of the people that you would determine to receive in your life, who you want to serve, right? Think of the people who impress you. Think of the people that you want to impress, all those things, right? Think, and really that's trying to define in your mind what you think is greatness. You know, what you think is greatness. And, and we, we are deceived by so many things that we think are great. And this is no more um, obvious in, in our time than the way we clamor to be with Christian celebrities, Okay, I'm on a crusade to to um, denounce Christian celebrities as much as I can, and I mean it. I mean it, it is it is a scourge on the church, right? Christian celebrities who 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 come to you and you receive them every day. You receive them in the name of Jesus. You receive them. You receive them through your eye, eye whatever's. Your eye, you know, you receive them through through uh, attending conferences. You know, you receive them through 
uh, publications, you received them in, uh, through Crossways, new publications, and PNR, and they send out marketing teams and glossy photos, right, telling you about the new resource that will change your life. They publish Bibles, that they call like grace-filled Bibles because all the notes are about grace. And last time I checked, the Bible was, was gracious, not just merely these notes in the Bible. The Bible is about grace. Do we really need to? I mean, it's like triple saturating a hamburger in butter, right? God's grace is on display in the scripture. And so they come out with grace Bibles, notes that'll point you to the grace of God, even in the rebukes in Deuteronomy and the curses. Right? They it, essentially to take away the fear of God. Right? But this is who we receive. Right? This is who we receive, and we receive them because we think they'll make us great in the kingdom of God. If we could remember the things that they have said, if we could remember the things, the slogans that they preach to us, then we'll be great in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, well, he who receives this snot-nosed, dirty, diaper-filled child in my name receives me, Jesus. A little child. There's no, there's no, uh, you don't get any cachet when you receive a child. Right, Millers? I mean, we love you for it, and we love you for doing that. So you do receive that, and you receive prayers. But it's, it's hard work. That's no joke, what you're doing. No joke. They brought, Noah is, what, Eight days old, ten days old, and um, they received him through foster care a few days ago. So receiving a little child, right? That and and so to receive a child takes all of your ego out of it, right? To receive a child like that in the name of Christ, you're receiving Christ. It just humbles you it's a humble receiving right but we want to have boastful sort of receiving did you hear so and so did you did you know that I, I I have a signed copy of of his book and I waited in the line and he actually said this and this to me Blech. we clamor for things like that and Jesus says, whoever receives this child, this little child, remember they're arguing about who's greatest, and they're like, you want to be great? Receive this child. For the one who is least among you all, this one, this is the one who is great. You want to receive somebody who is great? Receive that little child. And then it goes from there, and John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he does not follow along with us. Okay, now this is, this is the, the disciples, the apostles getting denominational, in a sense. Right? This is the... This is the um, this is the Presbyterians getting their undies in a bundle about the Baptists, or vice versa, right? This, that's what this is. We saw someone casting out demons in your name. I mean, and apparently the demons were actually coming out. This was some effective ministry where the demons are actually coming out, and we tried to prevent him. Why? Because he does not follow along with us. He's not in with us. He's not one of us. Right? You think there's another passage that should be coming to mind when I read this passage. What does Paul say in Philippians? Where is that? What chapter is it?
Oh. Some preaching from pretense and some preaching from truth. It is Philippians, right? Where is it? Oh, come on, Zandy. What do you... We rely on you for this. But you know the passage. I mean, some, some preach from bad motives and some from good motives. And yet, Paul says, as long as Christ is preached, I'm happy. Well, that really rubs a lot of us the wrong way. But what those, but realize this, that it's not that they're preaching a different gospel when they preach. They're preaching the same gospel, but with bad motives. At least they got, it's still orthodox, right? Paul's not saying, well, you know, at, you know whether they preach orthodox truth or unorthodox truth, as long as people, you know, find Jesus, I'm good with that. No, he doesn't say that. He says their motives are bad. Right? And so they're preaching, they're preaching truth, but they're doing it for money, let's say. That would be bad motives for preaching the gospel. And so, um, I mean, it's similar to what's being said here. John answered and said, um, Master, we saw some casting out demons in your name. We tried to prevent them because he does not follow along with us. But Jesus said to him, do not hinder him. Don't hinder him. For he who is not against you is for you. Oh, well, that, again, that rubs us the wrong way because Jesus in the Gospel of of Matthew says that a little bit differently. Doesn't he? He who is not against you is for you. He who is not with you is against you is what he says elsewhere, and we kind of like that better. Because then we can see everybody, everybody in the whole world who's not in our camp as against Jesus. But here he says, don't hinder them, for he who is against you, he who is not against you, is for you. Man, that seems so passive. Right, but but these they're they're casting out demons in the name of Jesus, and they're not following along. That's all they're not doing. That's all the apostles are objecting to. They're doing it. They're doing it in your name. It seems to be effective, but dude, they haven't given up everything to follow you. They're sort of complaining about their position, aren't they? They're complaining about having to follow Jesus. How can these guys who haven't made the sacrifices that we've made be still having an effective ministry? Oh, brother. All right, so he's humbling them again. He's humbling them again, teaching them what it means to be great. Remember, they're arguing about which one is great. He takes the child. He says, you know receive the child, they're ready to receive other things, so he's putting them in their place. It's great when you, you humble yourself. And then secondly, they're, they're complaining with bitterness about who, you know, others being successful and not having had to count the cost as they have had. And so we could learn from that that greatness in the kingdom of God is accepting your station in life. Accepting where you're at, accepting that you may, uh, you may have been hired in the first hour and then the people who are hired in the 11th hour are going to make the same wage, same amount of money. They're going to get the same reward at the end of the day, right? They're all going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. And then this, when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him. 
because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. These Samaritans didn't want to, didn't want to help. He was going toward the, the holy city, and they, they just they weren't going to have Jesus. And so, again, the disciples are really put out by this. And the disciples, I mean, we can channel with the disciples right now pretty well, right? When somebody cuts you off on the road, they're rejecting you in the position you think you should have. And you can go absolutely ape. Mm. Can't you? Right? They won't give Jesus a place to stay. And James and John, remember, what is their nickname? Sons of Thunder. Saw this and they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? they think they're Elijah? Do they think do they think they actually have the the faith to call fire down from heaven when they had not the faith to heal a demon to heal a young man with a demon? And yet now they're just going to willy-nilly, you know, you've been rejected from that household. Let's call fire down. I mean, do they, do they really think that that is their greatness? Is that what they think their greatness is? That any moment, if anything goes against what they would like, they can crispify the whole situation. They can burn people up. They can burn up houses by calling on fire from heaven. I mean, at least with Elijah, it was, it was the sacrifices of animals that they were burning up, right? Here, it's like they're calling for more. It's like they're calling for human sacrifice, calling fire down on these people who, who did, not, um, did not allow Jesus to, uh, to lay down his head for the evening. And so Jesus turns to them, and he, he turns and he rebukes them. And said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. So Jesus gets, gets, uh, rebukes them harshly, says they're of the spirit, I assume, of the evil one, right? You don't know what spirit you're of. It's not the Holy Spirit. You're of the spirit... You're, 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 you want to see destruction. And then Jesus tells, tells them that, look, he's not there to come to destroy men's lives, but he's come to save them. Now, now let me be odious here for a moment. I feel like this is the Christian church today. Let's call fire down on this wicked nation we live in the midst of. God, we are calling fire down upon the Canadian Parliament. That's what we will do. We know it's going to be glorious. This is what Christians do. We call fire down. We oppose wickedness right and we do so on terms on terms that that lead to our glory right that lead to our strength that lead to us being the example of of freedom and liberty in this world i feel like that's i mean look we didn't the church is to denounce evil right we're to expose the, the wicked deeds of darkness, right? But I feel like the, the calling of the church today, and it's because everybody has overreacted to COVID. Everybody has. But the church especially has overreacted to it, right? So now the church has become 
a political organization about calling down fire from heaven on liberals. And we say to hell with them. Burn them up, crispify them. My land is going to be a land of conservatism. Does that make you happy? Are we all on the same page now? Look what Jesus says. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save. Save them. To save them. If you have this sort of animosity toward pagans that just wants to see them condemned to hell and destroyed, then you do not have these words of Christ having much effect on your heart. God did not come to destroy, Jesus did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Save them. And so in other words, to be great in the kingdom of heaven is not to be a conservative belligerator. To be great in the kingdom of heaven is to be an evangelist who says Jesus is your way of escape. Jesus took the fire from heaven that you deserve, right? The fire from heaven that you deserve, all the wrath of God came upon him and, and now turn to him because he came to save you. But it's like the church today just doesn't really care much about the, the message of salvation. How in the world? If the church isn't talking about salvation and that there's salvation from wicked sins in Jesus, no one's talking about it. That is the calling of the church. It is the calling of the church. And yet we are so ready to call down fire from heaven. Calling down fire from heaven here, calling down fire from heaven upon the Supreme Court, upon our legislators, upon the police officers, right? Upon, huh, all the authorities of this world. Isn't that interesting? Call fire down from heaven on all the authorities of the earth and you say, essentially, I have no authorities. Except one, and that's God. And that is the creed of the rebel. Because all those other authorities that God has set up, he has set up. Right? So if you're all about calling fire down upon all the authorities of the world, you're a rebel against God's authority. God has established those authorities. God has established those authorities. And you may speak to them and vote for others and correct and rebuke them. But you may not destroy them. You may not even desire that, because that would be to work against a minister of God. Okay, so all of this is wrapped up in there, and, and the disciples are, are annoyed at this injustice that, that Jesus can't get a hotel room in, Samar in Samaria, in the land of the Samaritans, right? And they overreact. They overreact and every overreaction of man you know what it is it is a distrust in the sovereign providence of God that's what every our every overreaction is it is saying I've got to take this into my own hands because what I'm seeing here is God not acting in accord with the injustice of this situation that's what that is and so they're rebuked. You do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Now think of that, to save them. The Son of Man came to save them. The Son of Man came to die, to bleed, to be broken, to, to save you. He came to deflect all the wrath of God, all the fire that could come down on your shoulders. He came to deflect that away from you. And here these apostles just want to call it down on people willy-nilly. 
Jesus knows he's going to bear all of that for all of his people. He's going to bear the uncovenanted wrath of God against him. And that's what he came for. He came to save. He came to save. He did not come. He did not come to He did not come to set up a political kingdom. He came to save individuals by faith in him. And so Jesus convinces them that they're uh, overzealous, and so they, they went to another village. <laughs> Solution solved. You know, problem solved. They just went on to another b- village. And as they were going along the road, again, so if we go back 51 to 56, that whole sign, greatness in the kingdom of God, I guess I would summarize this by saying greatness in the kingdom of God is not um, having the sort of disposition toward even pagans that would call fire down on them, but greatness in the kingdom of God is, is having the heart of Christ, which would be to see them saved and come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ and live their life as an offering, a, 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 an offering to him. And then one last section. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. You think, Jesus says to him, essentially, I'll follow you wherever you will go. My greatness in your kingdom will be demonstrated by the fact that I will follow you wherever you go. Well, Jesus says this to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And so you got to think, because Jesus could read this man's heart, that there were certain comforts that this man enjoyed. Certain things that this man enjoyed that following Jesus, he really thought he wouldn't have to give up. Right? But Jesus had nowhere to even sleep. Right? No place to put his head down. And, and those would be the things that would come along in this man's life and he would be like, well, too much. Sorry, Jesus. I didn't know following you would be this hard. And so I'm out. And then another comes along and says to him, and Jesus says to him, follow me. And this man says, yeah, 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 but can I take care of a few things first? Lord, permit me first to go bury my father. Now, are Jesus' words to him fluffy, soft, easy? Let the dead bury their own dead. <laughs> Do you realize what he's saying there? Right? Your father's dead, and let, let those who are dead, the spiritually dead, let those who aren't following me as you are, let the dead bury the dead. Let them take care of that. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Let me first go and bury my father. I mean, I mean, I mean, we wouldn't, somebody, somebody whose father has just died has pretty much a free pass to do anything in, in my book, right? I'm not going to exhort them. I'm not going to push them. I'm not going to, they, they you know, that's grief they're bearing, that's weight they're bearing. I don't want to be a stumbling block in any way. But Jesus, because he had previously, previously said, follow me, that's the context. It's all about following him. It says, After, allow the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. He's saying, come now, follow me. You'll be great if you're devoted. You'll be great if you're devoted. 
Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Now, I feel less sympathy for him than the burial of a father. But again, this is excruciatingly difficult. Not say goodbye to my, my wife. Not say goodbye to my children. I'll follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, Sure, sure, I'll give you three hours. Do you need four? We'll meet at the Panera. We'll decide what to do from there. No. And Jesus said to him, No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I mean, that is, that is hyperbole, that's overstatement. Jesus couldn't possibly have meant that. Looking back because... I just want to say goodbye before I leave for the next year, two, three, 15. No, it's devotion. All of these things point toward a single-minded devotion, devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus says, follow me, That's the first order in our lives, right? There is no order that takes precedent above follow me. It's follow me and allowing other things to fall away that once were important to you. That's called devotion, isn't it? And so greatness in the kingdom of God will be seen by your devotion, your single-hearted, your single-minded, your your tunnel vision devotion for Jesus Christ. That's greatness. That's greatness in the kingdom. And so, you know, a while back in the early 2000s and mid-2000s, maybe they still do them, I don't know, but there was the group of, there's this group of videos called I Am Second. You remember those I Am Second videos? Famous people who were successful in the world who had Christian faith and wanted to profess their Christian faith publicly. I remember a guy, um, you probably don't remember him, but a baseball player named Josh Hamilton. He could hit. He, um, during the home run derbies, he would hit 500, 535 bombs, right? Very talented guy. Um, I am second. He did his video. And talked about coming out of drug addiction. He fell out of the league for a while, came back, talked about how he found uh, Jesus. And then after that, he was in and out of the league because of substance abuse and whatnot. And I think even last year, he was, the poor guy was um, put in prison for domestic abuse or something. But this that whole I am second phenomenon is what we think of as greatness in Christianity. You're great if you're successful in the world and, ret- and have a Christian testimony. And that's not greatness in the kingdom of heaven. Greatness for Josh Hamilton would have been for him to come to the Lord, leave behind baseball, and fight his demons. Fight his flesh, fight against it, get in accountability, get in good church, and fight his flesh. That would have been greater than him having some sort of Christian testimony as he, as he um, was insanely successful in the eyes of the world. But that is often, I mean, even in our, the, the whole Christian celebrity thing, right? Greatness in the, in the Christian world is is an imitation of great, the greatness of the world, right? Every pastor wants to be Joe Rogan, right? Who has, who has a $200 million contract to talk his thoughts in a podcast and who has the whole world of conservatives listening to him, even though he's vile. 
okay? Not Christian, not helpful. Um, and so, um, but that's what the pastors want to be. They want that blog, and that would be greatness because they'd be reaching so many more people, right? But greatness, greatness, what is it from our passage? It's being humble, right? It's, it's knowing your station. It's being committed to seeing people saved and not condemned, Right? And it's being simply devoted to Christ. How many, the great, the great, who did Jesus say was great? John the Baptist. No one born of a woman is greater than John the Baptist. Was John the Baptist humble? Was he devoted to people's salvation? Was he single-mindedly devoted to Jesus Christ? I think he's an example of this, right? But the fact of the matter, the fact of the matter is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven are people we have never heard of. We will be astonished to see the giants of faith who are receiving their reward in heaven, and it will be huge, and it will be somebody who loved their children, It'll be some ordinary guy who gave away all of his money because he loved Jesus. <laughs> you know, it'll be some, it'll be some, uh, some missionary who actually went not because it gave him cachet to post pictures on Facebook, but he just went and he died doing the work. It'll be Jim Elliot, you know. That's greatness in the kingdom of God. And that's what's, that's what's written in this passage. That's, that's this greatness that's being uh, demonstrated for us here. So if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, don't try to become great in the world and then retain your Christian testimony. You'll make shipwreck of your faith, right? Be humble, be devoted to Jesus Christ, be devoted to others, Love God, right? Do the ordinary things that God has commanded you to do, right? Obey his word, know it, pray to him. It's all very unglorious, but one day it will, it will, uh, you will receive a reward and you will be great in the kingdom of heaven.